For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, it is handbook release week. Uh, we revealed our front cover to the world on Monday. Uh, Arsenal's very own Emil Smith-Rowe, adorning volume 12. Uh, thank you very much to each and every one of you who's purchased, subscribed or even shared uh, our work at Scouted so far. It's very, very much appreciated. Um, this week on the Scouted Podcast, we thought it was quite fitting to, to sit down and chat to the author behind our showcase feature in the new volume, uh, the topic of which is Arsenal's Hale End Academy. Me, hence the Smith Row cover. Uh, Lewis Ambrose penned that particular piece or love letter, depending on, on which way you look at it. Uh, and I'm delighted to welcome him back to the Scouted Pod. Uh, how are things, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Joe. Thanks, thanks for having me. I'm very, I'm very honoured to be asked on and to do the piece as well. It's, um, it's a good time to write about Arsenal, obviously, and a perfect time to write about Hayland. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic piece first and foremost, but but also, you know, a fantastic time to be to be writing about Arsenal and and Hale End, as you say. I mean, it's something like nine games unbeaten now, isn't it? Uh, at the time of at time of recording, so do feel free to blame me when when you don't make it to ten at the weekend. Um, but yeah, last time out we we discussed VFB Stuttgart on the on on this podcast. Uh, that episode is available and still very relevant. Um, it's number fifty four. If you would like to go back and listen to Lewis's words of wisdom on that particular club. Uh, but it's Arsenal this time around. Um, I just want to get sort of a, a feel, you know, what was the thought process, the the creative process, you know, what what is the gist of of the piece that you've penned in in Volume Twelve? Uh, so the idea, well, the idea, the idea broadly was, could you write a piece about Hale End? Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I actually really appreciate that that it was sort of no one said to me and and some of you guys obviously speak to some of you guys that scouted quite often and no one said to me can you write a piece and this has to be what it what it is um it was just supposed to be you know hail end and I had a think and for me Arsenal a club that as as a fan all clubs have those things that you sort of cling to and, and your sort of identity I guess what makes you different to other clubs and that's something that Arsenal over the past few years have been scrambling for a little bit and, and maybe lost. And now we're seeing the first generation of of truly homegrown talents in a really, really long time come through into the first team. And it's a time when I think fans have been, if they if they aren't still, have been sort of disillusioned with the club a little bit. And that connection definitely gets gets brought back into focus by these players being there. And also a connection to the past. So I mean, you know, obviously historically, that's that is the connection with academy players who come through, and so I, I went back in the piece to all the way to to the late eighties when Arsenal hadn't won a title like we are now for for eighteen years, and talked about you know the fact that back then the, the famous Anfield nineteen eighty nine last game of the season it featured so many homegrown players. And, and English homegrown players as well, which is is something I'll come on to in a second. So Arsenal have this proud history. Even you can go back further and then into the 70s and some of the icons of the club, you know, guys that had never played for anyone else, Liam Brady and Charlie George, before they broke into the Arsenal first team. Then the club didn't have any real success for, for a long period. 
the late 80s did have that success again, the early 90s as well with, you know, Tony Adams and David Rocastle and Michael Thomas and Paul Merson all coming through and this incredible generation, Ray Parler was obviously there even longer, um, sort of the, the back end of that and then into the Arsene Wenger era. And then you had this weird spell where Arsenal became known for giving chances to young players, but those young players were never really... As, if you want to put it that way. So all of this time that we talked about Arsenal, you know, developing players and and having some of the best young talents in the world. And obviously, you know, you talk about Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira and Nicholas and Elka before them. And a little bit later, Robin Van Persie and Cesc Fabregas. But all of those players were signed as teenagers. The development had been done somewhere else. And a lot of them grew to understand Arsenal and what the club means to the fans and how the fans think. But they weren't born into that. And that's what's different now. Um, you know, the Invincibles, you talk about all those players that I just mentioned. Ashley Cole was the only player, really, that, uh, and Parler was still there. But Ashley Cole was the only player that was was really homegrown and, and young and had broken through into that team. And beyond then, you sort of have to skip forward a few years to Jack Wilshere. And now we have this generation, which is really incredible as a fan of, of Mel Smith-Rowe and and Bukayo Saka, especially those two, who have not just broken into the team, but this team's being moulded around them and they play that sort of Arsenal football, if you can put it like that, you know, this movement, pass and move, one touch, two touch. The football that Arsenal fans, I think, grew to love over the last 15 years and grew to miss over the last three or four years. So to have that being you know, the way that the team is managing to play again and to have that being brought to the fore by two homegrown players is really, really special and a massive, massive credit to all of the work being done in the academy. Yeah, for for those two to be sort of the two, I mean, two of the key exponents of that style of play, that particular brand um, is, you know, as a, you know, to, to be an Arsenal fan, that must be, you know, really gratifying and really, you know, great to see because you know who doesn't love it when when a player, a homegrown player from that region, comes through at, at their boyhood club or or at your boyhood club. You know, it's 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 this it's the stuff that you know that makes, despite all the money and the contracts and the get out clauses, it's what kind of brings football back to its original purity. And I think that the that's kind of what the piece touches on. You know, that that it's a great living history of of Arsenal. Um, and I think just that the brief sort of like little introduction there, that the history of Hale End, if you will, I think it's a lovely way of sort of, of putting it and and capturing the essence of a club. Um, I suppose it's it's probably best to, to begin with Emil Smith Rowe. Then um, he's obviously the cover star, but also he's somebody who is who's coming into you know having this 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 key in this integral first team role uh, with Arsenal this season. Uh, and we touched on how the team have uh, you know they're currently on a on a, on a lengthy unbeaten run. Um, you know, I just wanted to to gauge you know what what are Emil Smith Rowe's key responsibilities in this in this Arsenal team in in the season of 2021-22. I think if you look back to last season and, and the season before, um, Arsenal really, when the team was really, really struggling, it was a lack of movement. It, everything was static. Uh, the ball moved slowly. The players didn't move or moved slowly when they did. And it looked like a lot of different pieces that had been put together. Uh, and Mill Smith is a player that sort of sews that all together and, and makes the game flow. It's 
it's really, really lovely to watch. He's rough around the edges at the same time a little bit and, and doesn't always quite look in complete control. He's, he's really robust. This lovely mix, and it reminds me a little bit of how people talked about Jack Wilshere when he broke into the Arsenal team, of this mixture of playing football, sort of, you know, the, the so-called Spanish way, but with that kind of typical English grit. I think Emil Smith-Rowe has that, has those both sides to him. So you've got the pass and move football and you've got that grittiness, that get stuck in sort of thing that play it, people just love. And especially when it's a homegrown player, people just absolutely go mad for that. So right now in the Arsenal team, I mean, he's playing fantastically from the left-hand side. We've seen for a few years now, there's been such a focus on the left wing back, Kieran Tierney before and now Nuno Tavares at the moment. You know, bombing on and providing that width on the left. And the player on the left before has been maybe Pierre Mkubamian quite often, who has drifted in. He's more of a goal scorer and, and then the play becomes quite... Try and uh, try and put it into words, it's quite difficult. It, it becomes sort of chunky. The The game doesn't flow. Smith Rowe's a completely different player and he gets the ball and he does just knit things together. He drifts inside, he can run outside. And what I love about watching him so much is that I feel like he always does what the players around him need from him. Never what he wants to do, never the thing to get him on the ball or get himself into the best possible position. But if the player closest to him is moving towards the ball, he'll move away from it to open up space. And if the player is outside him or inside him is making a run forward, then he'll make a run toward or move towards the ball and the, and the guy on the ball just to drag defenders away and create spaces and create openings, even when he's not getting on the ball himself. When he does get on the ball, I think Arsenal have played the last couple of years quite slowly, too slowly most of the time. And for me, he's a player that always thinks forward with his first touch and accelerates the game instantly with as few touches as possible. He'll get the ball and he'll turn instantly. He'll he'll know that there's space behind him or space outside him and he'll turn into the space and one or two touches later, the ball's gone. It's moved on to somebody else. I think it's, yeah, really, really special. And this season as well, to be already now adding goals to his game is sort of the the last thing, the last piece, if you like, that you could have asked from him from, from the way he was playing at the back end of last season. Goals and assists. And he started the season in really good form in front of goal as well. So, yeah, he's become absolutely crucial in a really, really short amount of time. I think the point that you're making there about sort of how he just, he takes the, you know, the, the right number of touches. Often the optimal number of touches is the fewest it takes to complete the action, which is a very scientific way of putting it. But, you know, the fewer touches you take to be able to beat a man or to to pick your pass or to, to score a goal, it, it's often, you know, the, the fewer touches you take, the quicker you're able to execute that. And I think that's the, that's always a sign of, of top players. Um it's it's probably quite topical, um, but based on you know the last his last five league games for Arsenal, you've got two two assists and three goals in his last five league games for Arsenal. All of those coming in games where he's played on that left hand side. I, I mean, there's with the England squad quite literally being announced today on the day that we're recording. I've seen a few sort of reactionary takes, which have been sort of you know Emil Smith Rowe's done this, he's done that. He compared to other people in that sort of position. I, I'm not I'm not fully in agreement about that. I think he's he's sort of in the conversation or he's putting himself, he's gradually starting to put himself in the conversation uh, for England alongside Bukayo Saka. But 
I'm not fully on board with the, well, just because he's had a, a good run of form, should he necessarily be in the squad? You know, you have to look at the, the wider um, the wider context, which is, you know, two World Cup qualifiers, which England need to win. I think it was uh, Grace Robertson, Grace on Football, who said that, you know, it's probably bringing Smith Rowe into the setup now is, you know, right at the end of a cycle, which is quite important, um, then it's perhaps not the best time to be doing it. But um, I, I do think that he's, he's beginning to sort of knock on that door. There was, um, he came on, I think it was in the, uh, or, or not in, he didn't come on, it was Curtis Jones who came on in England's uh, under 21 game against Andorra um, last international break. Uh, and it was Smith Rowe who who ultimately scored the goal in that one nil win, which was was you know looking like it was going to be a bit of an upset. I mean, a nil nil draw would have been an upset against Andorra's twenty ones. But you know, Smith Rowe just has that, that 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 knack of being able to change a game with just one one simple action. I think we've seen that in the Premier League now as well, which is obviously the the biggest test for young players. Is yeah, you can you can do it at youth level, you can do it as a youth international, but can you do it when it matters for the first team? And I think we're start we're beginning to see that. Um, you know, what, what's your stance on sort of the Smith Rowe England Saka sort of whole whole uh, dichotomy? Um, I think Smith Rowe may be really unfortunate, maybe fortunate, maybe fortunate that he gets to stay out of the limelight a little bit at the moment. Well, there's obviously so much hype around what he's doing for Arsenal. Is it the best thing to be thrown into the England squad and, and hope to maybe spark some life into the attack there? Probably not. Um, unfortunate in terms of any previous England generation. I think he'd definitely be in the squad right now. Uh, this, team is so so stacked at the moment and you just look at his position and you've got Mason Mount Phil Foden and Jack Grealish and Saka obviously Raheem Sterling playing out wide for England there are players I mean Jaden Sancho has been dropped from the squad and not made this squad so I don't think there can be complaints I think it's just you know the size of the squad and the the amount of depth that Gareth Southgate has it's going to be hard for anyone to break in. As you say, these two games are actually important for England, last two qualifiers that they do need results from. And then there's a whole year, so until the World Cup, if Smithrow keeps playing like this, then he's going to be banging, not knocking on the door to go to Qatar. But as things stand, obviously that enormous list of players that's ahead of him, that's, that's some ask. I don't think it's... A, a massive issue and while he maybe would have deserved an England call up would he have deserved would would one of those other players deserve to have been dropped from the squad probably not so yeah I don't think anyone can really have any complaints um, I don't think it's a terrible thing for him to miss out I don't think it's terrible news for Arsenal and I always think now I always think that the the case of Phil Foden is should be so instructive to all of us when we're talking and then thinking about young players and you know, you look at Foden, Sancho, who came through at City at the same age and went on. They couldn't have gone on more opposite paths. And obviously, there are other players who maybe take a step down and and go on loan to the football league or some or abroad. But Sancho, yeah, to go straight into the first team at a Champions League club, while Foden was biding his time and Pep Guardiola was talking about, yeah, well, you know, this is the right thing for his development, and he'll get there in the end, and he's brilliant now a few years down the line and I don't think anyone can say that either Sancho or Foden made the wrong choice nor did Mason Mount going and playing in, the, in abroad and then in the championship for a year 
it's you know, there are very different ways for players to develop and different times that players progress as well at different ages. So I think we always need to keep that in mind a little bit more when we're talking about young players and, and the next steps and if they should be playing more or not. So Smith is playing a lot of football at the moment for his age. He's had injury troubles over the past few years as well, which is why he probably didn't break into the Arsenal side a bit sooner. I don't think it's any bad thing at all for him to keep focusing on on becoming a key player for Arsenal and not have the burden of performing for his country on top of it. You mentioned about Qatar as well. I think if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be thinking, okay, you know, he's not in the squad for these qualifiers, but he's playing himself into form in what will be a very pivotal 12 months in Gareth Southgate's thinking for, for the squad for Qatar next summer. Obviously, if this was any other generation, as you said, then you know he'd be a shoe-in based on current form. But when the likes of Jadon Sancho aren't getting in, um, you know, you it does it does kind of shine a light on how diverse the option pool is, you know, the for, for Southgate to pick from. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've not got too many qualms with it. I think it's, you know, we've seen the discussions about how many right backs Gareth and which centre halves should be should be in the squad. You're never going to when this is the other side of the coin with with England. It's you know when when there is a pool of players who are immensely talented, you're never ever going to be able to appease everybody or appease every fan base or or you know satisfy the the individual opinion of of somebody who proclaims to to think that they know better but I think that's just the, the world of football really isn't it um just, it, it used to it always used to be with England you sort of saw the squad and somebody would be saying how the hell is he in the squad or how's exactly. he got an England cap and now it's just the complete opposite yeah and exactly it's you know people will argue about whatever you give them whatever you present them with uh, to argue about but um Moving on, and it's probably quite topical that we're talking about England because and the squad because Aaron Ramsdale has been named in uh, the latest uh, squad for those final two qualifiers. Um, and he's someone who's probably had to, not from Arsenal fans at all, he's probably taken a fair bit of flack from you know newspaper columnists and people who looked at his summer transfer to the Emirates and said, how much? And now you've got a, a goalkeeper who is you know playing really confidently somebody who really earned that clean sheet against Leicester at the weekend. Um, you know, he's he's full of he's just full of zip, full of confidence. You're already seeing the reason that he's been purchased, you know, the 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 passing, the the, the comfortable uh how comfortable he is in possession, um, how good he is with the ball at his feet, you know, how polarizing that is from Bernd Leno. You know, I, it's it feels now down the line, it feels like a very much a feel good transfer, and you know I'll be I'll hold my hands up and say at the time I, w- I did sort of question maybe the fee, but then you've got to take into consideration Leno's contract length. You've got to bite the bullet now, and ultimately it it was a seller's market in the summer. So yeah, I, I, w- I was wrong on on Ramsdale, but I'm 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 pleased to see how you know how well he's adapting. I mean, from an Arsenal perspe- perspective, how 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 do you feel that he's fitting into into the squad? No, well, firstly, I'd say don't excuse Arsenal fans from that. Um, from, <laughs> I was trying from... to win back Corey favour again after the, the Smith <laughs> row bit. From what should definitely be a, a group apology, and myself included as well. I think, I, I think there are very few people um, looked at that fee and thought, oh yeah, they've got a really good deal there. Um, even if he, even if he is a young goalkeeper, I think there are a lot of question marks around his performances at Bournemouth and at Sheffield United, getting relegated twice in a row. And I think that's understandable. Um, And I also think that he's doing a fantastic job of shutting everybody up. And as I say, myself included. So not just you and not just non-Arsenal fans, but um, 
but definitely Arsenal fans for the most part as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the, on the ball, firstly, as you said, the, the, it's just fantastic. And I think it's probably something we didn't see that much of at Sheffield United, just because the way that they played um, a little bit more direct. Obviously, his long kicking is excellent as well, but it's those it's those passes into midfield and that have, have really caught the eye. There were a couple of against. There are some in every game, and it's the sort of thing maybe you you might see a clip now and then, and you think, oh, that's a really good pass. But it's only really valuable if somebody can do it consistently. Um, Ramsdale is always looking for the opportunity to to break lines, like you'd expect from you know your best ball playing centre backs and. You're pinging the ball into into the feet of a midfielder or even a striker, it's really really impressive. Those sort of daisy cutters that seem to skim across the ground and and land right into the feet of whoever he's aiming for. It's a massive weapon as well. Obviously, you know you take three or four or five opposition players out of the game all at once. Talk about a way to break down pressing and and launch an attack. It's not a long hopeful ball, but he he plays passes. Um, as, as good as as good as any goalkeeper around at the moment, pretty much to save maybe you know the likes of Manuel Neuer and, and Mark Andre to Stegen. So that's been really really important and really impressive for Arsenal. You can tell how much he thinks about what he's going to do with the ball. I really like to. Uh, I noticed it first in the game against Burnley, and he's done it recently as well against Leicester and, and Aston Villa quite often he'll have the ball in his hands and, you know, you, you picture a typical scene, the goalkeeper's got the ball on his hands, he's on the edge of the box and the two centre-backs are sort of, you know, to his left and to his right, not that far away. And he didn't put, the, he didn't, you know, give the ball out because everyone was being marked, but he didn't put it on the ground either. He actually took five or six steps back before he put it on the ground and played out. And I think just that little bit of, you know, both centre-backs are marked they're both covered from where you're standing. So what would you do if you were a midfielder? You'd change the angle, you'd change the space, you'd use, you know, the you'd, you'd make the pitch as big as possible, use all the width or, or as a striker or a winger, use as much of the pitch in terms of depth as you can. To, to see a goalkeeper thinking, I'm going to move further back into my box, closer to my goal before I put the ball on the ground because it forces the strikers to react in how they're pressing or how they're marking just tells you how much he, he thinks about how he's going to play out from the back before he does it. So that's been a massive, massive thing for Arsenal. And Burnt Leno isn't bad with the ball of his feet, but has looked shaky at times the last couple of seasons and definitely doesn't have the, the technique of Ramsdale when it comes to picking a man out. And then on top of that, he's been excellent. In, in in the box and you know the the classic goalkeeper stuff and on his line and in his six yard box claiming crosses away at Burnley to take pressure off the defence where we know they've got three or four or five big players in the box all getting around the goalkeeper and then obviously last weekend the shot stopping against Leicester was just absolutely brilliant so for now it's just everything that you could ask for from a goalkeeper and uh, making a lot of people look very silly for their predictions when he was signed. Yeah, that Leicester performance was definitely one which it was a, you're not going to beat me. You know, you can you can try, you can keep coming back at me, but you're not going to beat me. Um, and yeah, when you see a goalkeeper playing with that confidence, when you can sort of see the, the tide turning of popular opinion, um, I think that's, yeah, it, it's only something which is going to, it's going to, you know, boost your, your, your own confidence or your own uh, self-esteem. But, um, you know, talking about England with Emil Smith-Rowe, um, Ramsdale is, is in the England squad. Um, 
And there was a <laughs> there was a very good tweet last weekend, which from an Arsenal perspective might have been it might it might not have been received as well as it was received by others. But it was by Jonathan Liu who at the Guardian who was saying that you know Ramsdale's performance is sort of uh, a precursor to him dropping a clanger in, in against Brazil in the World Cup semi final uh, in twenty twenty two, and it's obviously it's playing up to the stereotype of England goalkeepers. Um, at, at major tournaments, you know, your Rob Greens, your, your Paul Robinsons, who've, who've previously made errors. David James, I'm sure, has, has made one or two. Um, you know, aside from that, you know, the the debate around England goalkeepers is one which is has always been, it's, it's the position which has never really been overly secure. And at the moment, you know, the current number one is Jordan Pickford. I think he plays markedly better for England than he does for Everton. But, if you're Pickford, are you thinking, you know, maybe there's there's a young pretender here in Ramsdale who who actually, you know, if he becomes Arsenal's undisputed number one over the next few seasons, there's, you know, there's there's reason to sort of suggest mm, I, I might have to start worrying about my place here. Yeah, I would say so. And I think obviously not that long ago, we were talking about Dean Henderson probably as looking like he was going to become first choice goalkeeper at Man United. And it generally does work like that, doesn't it? No matter which country or the the leading nations, if you play for one of the big clubs in gold and you're pretty much going to be the first choice goalkeeper for, for the national team as well. I think Jordan Pickford will definitely be a bit concerned. It would be interesting to see what Gareth Southgate does because I think on current form, you'd probably, or I would probably say that that Ramsdale should get the shirt on current form. The question is, you know, it's always a bit more difficult to drop a goalkeeper than a player in any other position or for a goalkeeper to earn the opportunity to win the place, if you like. So what does Southgate do? He's, got a clear number one and he's had a clear number one for a while now going back to what before the 2018 world cup and now he's got a situation where for the first time that guy has really genuine competition at, at sort of on an on an eye to eye level it's a really difficult thing how you know how do you drop pickford and then what happens if ramsdale gets injured and then you're putting a goalkeeper in for the world cup that knows that you're not he wasn't your first choice goalkeeper anymore and that you maybe had those doubts about him so it's a really tricky situation I expect Pickford to probably play these last couple of qualifiers as we said they, they matter um, but then going into 2022 I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Southgate sort of split the games between the two of them leading up to the tournament and say well you know win the shirt then um, and I think that's probably the best way that he can deal with it but I'm not completely convinced because I do think it's always tricky with the goalkeepers to give that one maybe the one that you drop that little bit of a knocking confidence you the worst thing is that that could come back and bite you later when it matters most yeah I, I agree with you there I think the, when you mentioned Dean Henderson's name I was thinking well yeah that's that's true that speaks to my, my my previous point which was it's never really been a secure position and when whenever a young English goalkeeper comes through, I mean, there's always there's been discussions around Nick Pope. I mean, he's not in the squad this time, I don't think. Um, but if there's always discussion around who will be the contender with Pickford, then it, it's never well. This is absolutely Pickford's number one position, and there's nobody else who's going to threaten him for that. Um, so Ramsdale is is the latest in in a in a long line of those. Um, you know he's been doing well for the twenty ones, obviously now starting for for Arsenal. So yeah, it's it'll be it'll be a curious one to keep an eye on over the next twelve months or so uh, up until Qatar. 
2022. Um, and we, we've kind of diverted away from Hayland a little bit there uh, just to talk about Ramsdale. I think it's it was a worthwhile endeavour, but um, let's get back to to the actual academy. And um, Arsenal's under-23 is obviously doing very well this season. Um, I think on a, on a previous podcast, I, I, I wouldn't quite say tipped, uh, but I, I kind of backed them to, to be competing for the PL2 uh, Division 1 title this season. Uh, and to be fair, they're not doing too badly because at the time of recording, they are top with uh, 22 points from 10 games, uh, 29 goals scored, 18 conceded, one point above Manchester City's 23s, who you would assume are the you know the real contenders to, to Arsenal there, having, uh, having won it last season, Manchester. The city, um, but their the, the last game, as a, a quirk of fate as it would be, their last under twenty three match, uh, the uh, aside from the EFL trophy game, their last PL two game, uh, I was fortunate enough to be at. That was at, at Ellen Road, uh, where they beat Leeds four uh, two, um, and it was it was great to see in the flesh uh, Flo Balogun and, and Salah Eddin Ulad Mohand, um, who who were you know the two 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 of three or four standouts in that Arsenal team. Um, I suppose it's it's probably best to start with Balogun because he's been he's been prolific in PL two this season. Um, but the opportunities at um, at uh, in the first team have been have been harder to come by. Um, you know he's he's been getting the the odd you know few minutes off the bench. It was about eight or nine minutes, ten minutes off the bench against AFC Wimbledon in the EFL Cup. Uh, you know ten minutes against Chelsea in the league back in August. But aside from that, it's not been. Um, that you know the minutes haven't really been forthcoming for the 20 year old uh contrast that with his under 23 form which has been you know nine goals two assists uh in probably around seven or eight games um you know where, where do we go from here with Balogun because you know you look at the the I mean especially at the beginning of the season you looked at the the troubles Arsenal were having in front of goal um and you were you, you were thinking maybe you know if if Balogun kind of puts together a run of form, then is is there an argument for him? Yeah, it's a it's a really really tricky situation for him. Obviously, he's signed that new contract and and stayed at the club last summer when there were questions about whether or not he would or if he'd move on. He looks every bit the player that that is ready for first team football at some level, um, and that that is needed for him to keep progressing. As you said, the the Premier League two looks like a bit of a cakewalk to him at the moment and he's he, he needs to be pushed i think arsenal yeah he, he started the first day of the season um the the loss to brentford and it was a bit you know a bit rushed through because of a couple of of coronavirus cases and eddie and ketcher got injured last minute as well so they didn't really have much choice but to use him um and he did look i mean it was his premier league debut he did look a little bit out of his depth um you know away from home against Brentford, three big physical centre-halves, a bit of a baptism of fire. And I don't think it was a surprise that he struggled that day. The whole team struggled that day. So uh, a a kid making his Premier League debut was always going to struggle playing up front, especially where where the service just wasn't there. It's tough. Um, Then, as you say as well, uh, a few minutes in the EFL Cup against Wimbledon, not even really getting on the pitch there because Eddie and Ketcher's still at the club and Eddie and Ketcher's minutes at the moment with with Arsenal not playing in Europe this season are limited to cup games because he's got Aubameyang and, and Alex Lacazette ahead of him when it comes to the Premier League. So I think in an ideal world, Arsenal would have found solutions for the, the futures of Lacazette and Ketcher, both out of contract at the end of the season in the summer. And I think they... 
would have also found a solution having known that both of those players were going to end up staying at the club uh, for this season would have found a solution to get Balogun some first team football out on loan and then that's probably what I'm hoping happens in January because whether it's in the championship or the further down in the Premier League or you know the, one of those leagues that seems to be fantastic at developing players like Eredivisie or, or the Bundesliga or even Balogun needs to be playing at a higher level now to really push himself and we talked obviously about uh, or I, I mentioned the different players have different development paths and they develop at different times and Phil Foden was getting those minutes it was only bits here and there but he was getting those minutes at Manchester City if it was 10 or 5 or 15 off the bench in the Premier League for a couple of seasons um, Balogun's not even getting on the bench at the moment for Arsenal so he needs to be around a first-team squad, which he is in training every day, but he needs to be there at the weekend somewhere. And we've seen what those loans have done for players in the past. I mean, I don't think Tammy Abraham is a dissimilar player and, and had a couple of fantastic years in the Championship. Massively helped him push on to that sort of first-team level at Chelsea. I would see you know that as the next step for Balogun, whether it's the Championship or not. Who knows? But first-team football is an absolute must. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the 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 game which I watched of him, uh, sort of in the flesh, the first half he was he, he was kind of he was matched by by Charlie Cresswell, one of the Leeds central central defenders. But at the same time, you could still see there was a real threat there, and there was one occasion where he did spin him. And you know, the, I think he had one shot which hit the post in the first half, and then one which crept just wide. And you did think, I mean, he's he, he's far too good for this level. Um, and, you know, the, the the defenses which he's coming up against, I mean, they are probably one, two and three years, you know, younger than him. But they are, you know, they're, they're very adept players. So first team football, I agree, is, is a must for him. The, the question is, you know, with Eddie and Ketia as an example, you know, does does a loan benefit him? Does he need to bide his time that tiny bit longer with the contract situation, as you said, you know? Can it just fundamentally can a club of Arsenal's stature, with the the transition period that the club is going through under Arteta, can can they justify um, going from sort of Lacazette and and, and Aubameyang to somebody like Balogun and giving those minutes over when he, as you say, with the Brentford game, you know, hasn't really done it yet. Uh, you know, he's maybe done it in fits and starts in the Europa League in the past few seasons, but you know, hasn't really done it yet. I mean, I feel like if it was a smaller club you'd maybe be able to justify it a bit better. Whereas with Arsenal, the expectation is just that, that little bit that little bit higher. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's why a loan is the ideal solution. At the moment, you're looking at... And that probably extends to next season as well, because you're looking at Arsenal at the moment. Lacazette and Nketiah are both out of contract at the end of the season. So next year, you'll have Aubameyang, maybe Gabriel Martinelli um, and, and Balogun as the three strikers in the squad. If, you know, and he, he's getting on and he's into, well into his 30s now, if Aubameyang picked up an injury and was out for any extended period of time, can Arsenal chasing to get back into Europe, back into the Champions League, afford to rely on uh, Balogun to fire them there? Probably not, or it's probably too much of a, of a roll of the dice to go with it. So, yeah, alone this season would have been great for him to have that chance to showcase that he could be the second-choice striker next season. It might be a bit late for that now. We'll see if he goes out in January and, and how he does if he does go out and where he goes out. But alone 
next season now probably seems more likely. The club have at least got him tied down, which they didn't have at this time last year and were, were seriously concerned about losing him. He's now under contract. His future's sort of in, in his own, but also in Arsenal's hands and alone next season as well as the the back end of this season, I think makes the most sense while Arsenal, as you say, transition into that next phase, that next sort of era of strikers because Lacazette and Aubameyang two or three years from now both won't be at the club and and certainly Aubameyang, if he, if he is still at the club in two years, won't be playing regularly or be able to play regularly, certainly not twice a week anymore. So that's where the that window of opportunity will arrive for Balogun now that period between now and then is figuring out how to make sure Arsenal know how ready he is and get him as ready as possible to compete to be in the squad in the starting lineup you know 18 months down the line yeah essentially to make sure that in that in in the interim period it's not essentially wasted time where you know he's not he's not not competing against the level of defender that he should be. Um, moving on to to the next player in uh, Arsenal's under twenty threes, which has sort of made a few headlines recently, and that's Salah Eddin Ulad Mahand. Um, he made the bench in the last round of the Carabao Cup um, based on the fact that he'd he'd been doing very well with the under twenty threes, uh, doing very well since he 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 he's kind of treated Hale End as sort of a a finishing school, um, given the fact that he's he's come over from the Netherlands. Um, he was, you know, schooled at uh, I believe Feyenoord um, for for a time, um, and you know he's got now got four goals in eight games at PL two level this season. Um, very silky, very good on the ball, uh, but off it, I was quite impressed with it, with him uh, as well because you know when you're not watching Arsenal under twenty three every week, but you're hearing about this player called Salah, you immediately think, oh, but he's very good technically. You know, you, you see clips of him on the Arsenal Academy account and stuff like that. And you think, well, yeah, you know what, there's, there's, there's reason to be excited about him. Um, but then you actually watch him in person and you think, actually, he's, he's quite robust as well. You know, he can, he can stand up to challenges. He can stand up for himself. Um, and that was also something I was quite encouraged by. Um, you know, he, he scored quite in that last PL2 game. Arsenal played that 4-2 win, scored a wonderful curling effort from outside the area, right into the top corner. Uh, was aided by the fact that the goalkeeper was uh, was was uh, he, he was he was pressured by Balogun actually, and then sort of gave the ball away. It fell to to Ulad Mohand on the edge of the box, and he showcased that technique to to bend it into the the, the far corner. Um, but apart from him, apart from Salah Eddin, Ulad Mohand, you know, there are other players in the 23s, which I'm sure you'll have heard of, Lewis, you know, the, the likes of Kido taylor Hart, you know, Mika Beerith uh, and, and co. Because, you know, when I saw them, I thought, oh, actually, you know what, this, you know, Hayland, this is Hayland, this is what we're seeing, you know, this is this is the, the, the reputation, the pedigree. Yeah, and it's, obviously it's always exciting. And you're always wondering as a fan when the, when the youth team, when the under-23s, the under-18s are doing well, you're always looking for that next you know, Saka, Smith-Rowe, who has the ability, the potential, and who will get the opportunity to to break into the first team. And, and Salah, obviously, you said, was on the bench recently and is surprisingly two-way as a midfielder, as a sort of creative midfielder. And and his brother is, um, brother joined Arsenal from Feyenoord at the same time as well. Um, is a couple of years younger, I think. So maybe that's a, the, the same name to look out for a year or two from now. Um, you just mentioned Beerith, who joined from Fulham in the summer and looks like a, a real, real prospect up front. He's stocky and, and quite powerful, but 
quite quick as well. And averaged, I think, a goal a game for Fulham last season um, for the under-18s and is playing yeah, 18 now, his first season of under-23 football for Arsenal. I think he made a couple of appearances for Fulham last year and doesn't look like it's his first season of under-23 football and doesn't look out of place at all. And then the sort of more homegrown guys like, yeah, Kiddo Taylor-Hart, who looks really exciting. Maybe the development has been a little bit slower or taken a little bit longer than other players at that level. So he's 19 already, I think. So sort of that age where Saka was already playing for the first team and a bit older than the other guys that we've talked about. And but now looks to in the last year have, have sort of made that leap really quick feet, but a really tall rangy sort of winger um, who adds a, a real directness to the team. Um, Amari Hutchinson is another one that I would mention who <laughs> looks like a, a Bukayo Saka regen, basically, a, you know, a, a intelligent, considered left footed wide midfielder who has filled in at left back as well. Very, very similar to to Saka and unbelievably skillful. And then I think another one that people have been talking about is is Charlie Patino, obviously, who has also been sort of mooted for a first team breakthrough this season. This season probably looks like it's a step too early. And very interesting. Mikel Arteta's words on him have very much echoed the the words of Pep Guardiola on Phil Foden. You know, we're, we're looking after him. Even though fans are maybe clamouring to see him now in the first team, get a few minutes, get on the bench, get an opportunity to break in. We're going to be patient as a club. We're going to look after him. He'll take those necessary steps when we think he's ready and protect him from that limelight a little bit. Um I think that's Patino is maybe the one that people are most excited about and and sort of invokes memories of of uh, Jack Wilshire as a technical central midfielder but I don't think it's um it's there's any rush really to to move any of these guys into the first team and they'll all get their chances as and when probably you know pre-season next year when we go into next season there's going to be a lot of players going to the World Cup Maybe Arsenal, hopefully Arsenal, as as far as I'm concerned, will be back in Europe next season. And then there will be more minutes to go around, more opportunities. A lot of the first team players will, will probably, or a fair few will be off to the World Cup. And then there will be minutes there as well. So uh, there's no rush for any of these guys. But it's really exciting to know that just on the cusp, there are three or four or five players who if that opportunity comes up for them, look like they could step up and sort of be the next guy to to take that leap into the first team. I suppose it's a very enticing prospect if you're one of those young players to think that, you know, with the contract situations of a few of the first team players and also the potential minutes that, that are going to come in various competitions over the next 12 to sort of 18 months, you know, a lot of these you know, a lot of these kids are still going to be teenagers or just in their in their early twenties uh, that we've discussed there. So there is going to be opportunity, and and I mean, still in eighteen months' time, Charlie Patino, for example, is still going to be nineteen or something. So there's a there's a long long way to go. So uh, that's something I always try to try to preach is you know it's it's right that that we shine a light on the fact that they're developing well and, and performing well, but 
let let them develop and and let's not rush them through unless they are sort of you know generational Bukayo Saka type talents and they actually are needed in the first team to to help uh, to help win games. But no, thank you very much, Lewis, to, for for joining me on on this one. A, a bit of a hail end special uh, with with uh, some some uh, some Aaron Ramsdale mixed in there just for for good measure. Um, it's of course in, in alongside the Scouted Football Handbook release, Volume Twelve. Uh, thank you again to, to anyone who's, who's bought that already. If you haven't and you'd like to to, to find out what, what's in there, uh, alongside the twenty five profiles, the four features, uh, we have of course Lewis's piece on Hayland, uh, which is fantastic. We have uh, Chelsea and the, the situation about departing young players. Uh, we also have an exclusive interview with Leeds United's uh, Victor Orta, uh, the director of football there. Um, so if you'd like to check that out, do head on over to sfhandbook.com. Yeah, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast uh, with myself, Joe Donoghue and Lewis Ambrose on Hayland, the Arsenal Academy setup. Stay safe, take care, bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.